great, great, great Sunday morning. It's beautiful outside. It's beautiful inside. Uh, take to heed the, uh, the, the encouragement from the Lord to be worshipers, to openly worship. It's something that we, uh, we just espouse here at Bethesda. When we're in the house, it's okay to raise your hands. It's okay to tell God you love him and that you desire to worship him and you're thankful. Keep it up. It's, it's just something that is, should be part of all of our lives uh, we had some uh, prayer requests this morning. I want to share with you that it, it, what Pastor Noah said is true. We don't take this time of prayer for granted. It's great to pray for the people of the church and to keep some names in front of you. And sometimes we can't say everybody's name. We can't offer every request. Some of them, they just you haven't even made it in. You're standing in your seats and he invited you to raise your hand. you have a need, raise your hand. I just want to tell you, last week on Monday, we received a call. person here in the congregation heard that plea, raise your hand. Just raise your hand. And by faith, lift up your need as we pray. And we received a, a testimony of a healing at that time. And someone's saying, you know, that pain is gone. Called the office on Monday to testify. Thank you, Jesus. God's working. He is working even when we don't even think he's working. That's right. And uh, we, we prayed for Brother Herman Liggins just a few minutes ago. He had a pretty devastating uh, news diagnosis of his spine. They told me he had cancer. I've got a picture of Herman, though, coming out of surgery. And it's just so encouraging he had crushed vertebrae. They, they was extensive. He was in that operating room a long time. We did not get final word till it was like 10.45. He started, that's p.m., and he started way early in the morning. But here he was the, the very next day, smiling, standing up, and he's got two thumbs up. I, I mean, that's the attitude to have. It's the attitude to have. God is working uh, it's great to see these baptisms this morning. We've had more baptisms in the past couple weeks than in a while. God's doing it. It's not any one of us. It's the Lord. God is the one who adds to the church such as should be saved. He does the work. We just want to put the, the word of God out and let him penetrate hearts. He's doing it. And it's great to see souls made new, souls renewed. And it, it, it's a reminder, God is, is just so ever-present. And uh, he is in this renewal business. I, I, I was contemplating some of this earlier in the week. And I want to make a confession to you. I really didn't know where, where I'd be going this morning. I, I had some time off in August, and it was really a glorious time, and Maybe I was kind of just basking in that time off a little too much. And I'll tell you what, somebody asked me, hey, what are you preaching on Sunday? Oh, I don't know. Lord, help me. What do you want your people to hear? And I'll admit, I had a little bit of preacher's cramp. You get writer's cramp? I was getting preacher's cramp. Lord, what am I, I going to say to your people? And... I, I was thinking about these things. God, uh, he makes things new. He renews us. Uh, but was this really where, where I should be going? 
And then Brother Noah gets up here, he reads from Zephaniah chapter three, uh, verse 17, the Lord is in your midst. That was kind of one of my thoughts. Like I I, I thought uh, and felt just impressed. Talk a little bit about that, that the Lord is in your midst, that he makes things all new. He's in the renewal business. This morning, I I woke up to a text message from another pastor doesn't happen every week. Doesn't really happen that often, I'll say. But the, uh, the text message said uh, things like this. God makes all things new. God can renew. I said, oh, thank you, Lord. You're, you're kind of confirming these things. I love it. And then I came in this morning. I come into my office, and there on my keyboard is this, this right here. I... It was a gift, a gift, and it's Isaiah 41.10. It says, so do not fear, for I am with you. I thought, I titled the, the message this morning. I think I put the title on it sometime late Friday, maybe early Saturday. He is with you. You know, because I thought we all need that reminder. Then I got this great reminder this morning. I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I'll strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I'm, that's, that's a keeper. I'm, that's that's going to be displayed prominently. God is with us. He is speaking to us. So I want to begin with something that speaks to renewal and God with us. And it's one of the, one of the passages of Scripture I committed to memory a long time ago. So it's in the King James, and it's Psalm number 23. And Psalm 23 goes like this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's such a beautiful, beautiful psalm, and it, it depicts life. It depicts life that there will be times in life of still water, but there's also the valley times. Life has those periods of restoration and renewal and tranquility, and, and it has also those periods in the valley, even surrounded by enemies. The psalm, it's beautiful. It opens describing uh, God's uh, the great shepherd, our good shepherd, who meets every need I shall not want. And that same good shepherd bestows a season of peace and tranquility, green pasture lying down by the still waters with this restored soul. Now, who's the good shepherd but Jesus? Jesus is our good shepherd. 
And he is the restorer of our soul. We see this baptism this morning, people made new. And what a fantastic image in the psalm. It presents this renewal and restoration of the soul. That's why the great apostle Paul, he could write things like, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And that's 2 Corinthians 5. I don't have it up here, but... How does Psalm 23 continue after presenting this great, beautiful image of renewal and restoration and tranquility and pasture? How does it continue? Well, it continues with the good shepherd leading on the roads, the paths of righteousness. Why? For my sake? For my purpose? For my plan? No, it says for his name's sake. See, God's got a plan. God's leading you because of his plan for his name's sake. And the psalm says he uses his rod and his staff. It's the rod of correction and the staff of direction because that is what a life renewed needs sometimes by the good shepherd, Jesus, so that we stay on the paths of righteousness, his direction. And sometimes his discipline his discipline, the rod of correction. The shepherd would have that, that staff that he used maybe to nudge his sheep back on the path, maybe to give him a little firmer nudge when he needed a little discipline. That's, that's, a, that's a season, and there's another season there presented in the psalm. It's the journey in the Death Valley and hemming in, being surrounded by enemies. That's a... That's difficult language, but don't be discouraged by that language. Don't become downcast because it says, I'm in the presence of mine enemies. I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. No, the, the psalm, the, the, it, it describes the good shepherd. He is with you. He's with you during those seasons, during those times. No need to fear. And he, he, he's still using his rod and his staff. He is still providing, prepares a table in the presence of enemies. He'll feed you. He'll fill you till you overflow. He'll anoint you with blessing even in those difficult times of life. And the psalm closes, and forever, forever. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's really beautiful and interesting about Psalm 23 is the order is the, the order and an image of life. The psalm doesn't say that I've been disciplined and I've, I've had to have be corrected and directed and I had to go through this really deep valley and be surrounded by enemies and then God restored me and he put me in the green pasture behind, beside the still water and it was like that way forever. It's actually the, the other way. A, a, a renewed life in Jesus. It, it, it initiates this wonderful moment of being born again. And it brings this amazing sense of peace and, and, and tranquility. Jesus has taken your guilt. You've been born again. He's restored your soul. And that's, that's an amazing time of life. But here's the thing. Life continues. 
And it doesn't need to be discouraging. And you don't have to be downcast because life continues and challenges come and there's tests and there's temptations and there's pressures and there's a variety of seasons of life. We talked last week about knowing Jesus as your refuge. He'll be your refuge in those seasons. Psalm 23, it depicts these, this seasonal aspect of life. But it gives this assurance, this great assurance that Jesus, the good shepherd, is ever present. He is with you. He's there with you at the tranquil times, life's beautiful times. But he's also there with you in, in the tough moments. King David, who wrote that psalm, he clearly spelled out difficult times, didn't he? He openly confessed, walking through the valley of the shadow of death. He openly confessed to being surrounded by enemies. You know, some Christians fear saying those things out loud. They fear that somehow, if they say, well, I'm surrounded by an enemy, or I'm in this valley, that it gives power to the problem. David didn't deny being in the valley. He didn't deny being in the presence of enemies. No. That, that kind of reminds me of, a, of something that occurred to me about 15 years ago. Some of you know this, and you'll tease me about it. About 15 years ago, I fell off a bicycle, and I smashed my hip. Now, I limped around here for about two weeks, you know why? I was denying I broke anything. I didn't break nothing. Now, I was told, go get that looked at. But some of you sitting out here, you know, you told me, go get that thing looked at. No, 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 it's fine. It's fine, I said, as I limped around. I didn't give voice to the problem. You know what? Denying it didn't make it go away. Not saying it out loud didn't make it go away. I didn't say it out loud. Many of you told me it's a broken bone. Oh, mm -mm. Two weeks after the accident, when I finally went to the ER, I remember it just like it happened yesterday. There I'm sitting in the exam room. Technician says to me these words precisely, sir, you have a serious hip fracture. I'm like, no way, uh-uh. I was still in denial, but I couldn't deny it. I broke my hip. Now, if I'd have gone to the ER with some kind of different problem, some internal pain or something, and the technician told me, hey, sir, you have coronary artery disease, or, or, or you have arthritis, or you have cancer or something, should I deny it? Should I not say it out loud? Some Christians believe that that's the way they should respond. I'm not going to say that. I can't. It's going to give power to the problem. But that's not what King David did. He said, I'm in the shadow of death. I'm in the presence of my enemies. He didn't deny it. But you know what he did? He acknowledged God's power over all of it. Thou art with me. Lord, you're with me. You will provide for me in the shadow of death. You will prepare a table while I'm surrounded by my enemies. You'll anoint my head. I'm not going to fear. Why? Thou art with me. Now, if you say you're sick or you have cancer or whatever... It's okay if you say it out loud, but you keep believing like David. Lord, you're my anointer. You are with me. And, and, and there's the thing now, too. Sometimes we need a reminder that our good shepherd is right there with us. He's providing and he's anointing. 
You know, when that tech told me, oh, you've got a serious hip fracture. I'll tell you what, admittedly, I was a little bit down. Uh, They weren't going to let me leave now. You can't walk out of here now. And they put me in a room, and, and Julie was busy at a big woman's conference. And so I was alone. I was alone. But, but I had my, my phone. I had, and, and it was new at the time. I had smashed it when I fell off the bicycle, but by the two weeks I had had a new one, I had a Bible on it. So I was able to open the Bible and be reminded, you know, I've been born again. I've been restored. But I needed this reminder, Lord, you're with me even now. And this morning, I want, to, I want us to consider that and, and, and see an example of some who were saved and they were restored, but they needed that reminder. They needed that reminder of the one who restored them and was with them. And I want to consider it so that we might find help to, to avoid the need even to be reminded. To even if we have to say, I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, we can say, ah, he is with me. So let's consider this. It's a passage from the Old Testament. It's the book of Exodus. Exodus is this book that presents Israelites leaving Egypt. That's why it's called Exodus. And they didn't just leave. They were saved. They were restored by the hand of God through amazing, amazing miracles. They, uh, they, they not only saw these miracles, they plundered Egypt. Uh, the, they took the gold and silver of the Egyptians. They were set free from their slavery. And they began making their way being guided by God on these paths of righteousness. They were guided to this land that God had promised. God had handpicked a man named Moses. He he said, Moses, confront this king, the Pharaoh of Egypt, and you tell him, set my people free. But the, the Pharaoh of Egypt, the king of Egypt, was powerful. He had a ruthless army, and he balked at this guy that comes in there. Who, what, who is he? He comes in with his brother, and uh, he, he's got a stick and maybe some cheap magic tricks that the Egyptians uh, can also perform. But you know what? They weren't cheap magic tricks. This was the power of God, and the Pharaoh soon learned that Moses was no magician. What Moses brought was the power of God. That's what he brought, and the Egyptians soon learned they couldn't duplicate this and they were stricken with things like lice and flies and boils and locusts and darkness and more and the pharaoh was stubborn though he refused the power of god he refused the the power that he saw unleashed through moses it was the power of god until every firstborn creature in in the land of egypt died except for that of the israelites Then the Pharaoh listened. He listened and he released the Israelites and set them on their way. And as they they went, God led them. God led them with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And not not too long after they left, though, that stubborn Pharaoh, that stubborn Pharaoh, he relented. And he said, hey, mount up your chariots, uh, army. We are going after those Israelites. And they began to pursue them. And as they pursued, God continued to lead the Israelites into what seemed like a dead end. But it was for his purpose. And these are, this, is, this is maybe the first reminder, which isn't my focus, but God was leading them for his purpose, not their own purpose, for his glory, his name's sake. And it seemed like they were going to a dead end. As Egypt 
approached the camp of the Israelites and they seemed hemmed in, the people began to fear because in front of them was the Red Sea and behind them was this ruthless army and the Egyptian chariots. And and now let's read uh, about it in Exodus chapter 14. Exodus 14, we're we're gonna park here. Exodus 14, 10 through 14. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And now here's what God did. Let's, we continue with verse number 19. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of the chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretched out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The Lord The water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. Now that'd be quite an experience. That would be tremendous. And the the experience of those Israelites, it's there for us as an example. It's there to help us. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. The Apostle Paul wrote that when he wrote his letter to the Corinthians. So let's learn from this passage. The Israelites had been saved. They'd been set free. They had already left Egypt. They were free. They They were not in bondage to the Egyptians as slaves anymore. They were following God's direction. God was directing them as they traveled away from Egypt. But soon they found themselves in a bind, didn't they? They were in a dead end, nowhere to go, a sea in front of them, and the uh, the powerful army behind them, and they felt doomed. They felt like they were going to die, and the first thing they did was what? They complained. 
They rolled out the old, I told you so complaints. Told you so, Moses. Shouldn't have left. Shouldn't have left. They pined for their old way. Let us go back to slavery. We should have been slaves. We should have stayed slaves. I don't think they were saying that when the Egyptians were giving them silver and gold and they left. As a matter of fact, there's no record there in Exodus of the people actually saying we should have stayed in Egypt unless it was a complaint. We would have been better off. Why did things have to change? You know, some Christians feel that way when they seem, when they seem presented with an impossible situation. Ah, should have never become a Christian after all. It's impossible for God to take care of this one. Ah, I shouldn't have trusted Jesus anyway. Doubt and fear, self-pity, it all creeps in. And then the lament, oh, I should just go back to my old ways. You know, I was better off when I was a slave to sin, when I was addicted or whatever. I'm just going to die anyway. What good is this Jesus uh, anyway? And all that fatalistic talk, what good does it do? It does no good. It did the Israelites no good. But look to the example of Moses. He didn't complain like the people. He didn't deny the problem. He didn't say, oh, don't talk about it. Oh, you just gave power to the problem. Nah, he didn't tell them not to give voice to it. He said, be still and stand firm. God is with us. He will deliver us. Moses, he, he voiced his trust in God. He's not, he's not gonna go all fatalistic. He said, God is gonna, he's gonna win this battle for us. And in a bind, when you're in a bind, when you're in that dead end, that's the first place to go. Trusting God. God, you're with me. Don't go down this fatalistic path of, oh, gee, God can't handle it. It's impossible. Trust. Thou art with me. I'm in the valley. You're with me. I won't fear. Second example. These saved and restored people, they had shook loose the Egyptians. They were no longer their slave masters. They're, again, they're on their way. They're being uh, led by God. And then what happens? They have an encounter with their former enemy. Now, if we project this onto Christian life, it's really not all that unusual. When you receive Jesus Christ and you're born again, when your soul is restored and all things are new, you know, that doesn't automatically eliminate your old enemies. Perhaps it should give you a little new perspective on your old enemies, that God's got power over them and he'll always have power over them as you offer your life to Jesus Christ, know that God has the power over whatever enemy has just been eliminated in your life, all that sin and baggage and guilt when you came to Christ. But it doesn't mean that they're eliminated. That, that old enemy, that old enemy of pride, that old enemy of fear or, or, or laziness or addiction or lust or whatever it was, whatever it was that had you in bondage, it might just come back calling and tempting. And it might seem to corner you, put you into that dead end, and you think there's no way out. And it's not time to say it's impossible. Oh, and I should have never left. I should have never left it anyway because I'm going to go right back to it. No, you'll be worse off than before you came to Jesus Christ. 
you know, instead of turning back to that old way, turn to Jesus and say it out loud. Say it out loud. Thou art with me. You are with me. I will trust you're with me. When this temptation's seeming to overtake me, when that old pride or lust or whatever it is is coming to capture you again, just say, God, I know you're with me. Provide for me now in this moment. I need to prepare that table. I'm being surrounded by my enemies. Lord, fill my cup to overflow. I need it. Anoint me. Cover my doubt and my fear and my unbelief. Lord, I need you. Say that. And if you find it difficult to do that, you know what you also could do? You could call on a Moses in your life. Call on someone who will reassure you. I know you know someone who will reassure you. We have these people in our lives like a Moses who will say, God's with you. Be still. Stand firm. They will encourage you to that end. Call on them and let them tell you, you will see the deliverance of the Lord. So don't be surprised if an old enemy comes back, that old sin comes calling. It's not time to complain and say the situation's impossible. It's not time to turn back to that sin. It's time to trust in the power of God who's with you to deliver you. And he'll do it. He'll do it again. And that leads to a third example, that word, that word again. These, these Israelites had witnessed the power of God in their deliverance. I read to you from uh, Exodus chapter 14. And now if you go back and you read the first 13 chapters of the book of Exodus, you're going to find that the Israelites, they had been saved thoroughly. They had been saved thoroughly. They had been delivered from their bondage. And they had been restored. They had witnessed the power of God over and over again. They had witnessed plagues on Egypt, which they did not suffer They witnessed the Egyptians giving up their gold and their silver right into their hands. They were being led miraculously by a pillar of cloud and fire. And when it seemed they were up against an impossible situation, they complained. Didn't they remember all that God had done? It was as if each of those exhibitions of the power of Almighty God We're just unrelated to one another. It it, it reminds me of this time when I was was a young engineer and I was working for one of the big automotive companies. I won't tell you the name. I was in a a project. This project involved a door system. A certain car was experiencing failures of the electric motor that raises and lowers the window. So a big task force was assembled to get to the root of the problem. And I went to a meeting. There was probably 50 people in this meeting, a lot of people talking and complaining, lots of back and forth, finger pointing, oh, you engineering, no, you manufacturing, all of this stuff. I didn't say a word. I was new. I wasn't too long out of school. I was sitting next to another brand new engineer. He was newer than me, but you know what? This guy got bold. He stood up and and he said, you got this huge problem. I would think that a company this big would have experienced something like this before. I thought I could walk in here and just get a big book off the shelf that said door systems and it would document all these previous issues you've had and how they were overcome. And you know, the chief engineer 
He addressed this young guy. I mean, this is what he said. I remember it clear as day. He said, son, you come into this company thinking we got 75 years of experience. But company doesn't. We have 75 one-year experiences. I will never forget that. I was like, wow. And that's how I would say the Israelites were looking at those times God displayed his power. They were just one-offs. One-time experience, individual experiences that were unrelated. They weren't connected. They were disconnected, as a matter of fact. They had no continuity. Isolated and separated. They had no influence over the lives of the Israelites. Now, sure, they were happy to have witnessed a plague disappear. They were certainly thrilled not to have to deal with boils and, and flies and darkness. I'm certain they were, in, they were thrilled not to have to deal with the loss of the firstborn. Well, they didn't complain when the Egyptians gave them gold and silver. It seemed the Israelites gladly received the blessing, but they forgot about the giver of the blessings. And, and, and let's not let that happen to any one of us. All of us can look back at a time. You can look back at a time and you know God and his hand was evident in your life. And you can recall that. You can recall a time in your life when there was an answered prayer. A situation turned around. You know it. Don't make it an isolated experience. Connect it with every other experience God has worked in your life. You know what? If, if I need power and I'm 50 feet from a generator and I got five 10-foot extension cords, I could just stand there and look at those extension cords and cry. Oh, I got no power. You know, or I could connect them together. I could connect them together. I could say, yeah, this one, you know, this one's going to help because I, and this one, put them all together. And, and now I got power where I need it. You know, link those experiences together that God ha- has done for you. Think back on the times the Lord has empowered you and he's helped you and he's brought you through and he saved you and he's delivered you and you connect them together and don't leave them isolated thinking they're one-offs and he's not going to do it again. No, maybe you need to write them down to remember them. Maybe you need to testify about them. Maybe you need to tell some others about it. When's the last time you made a phone call to the church to say you know my prayer was answered or you told a brother or a sister about it or when you were brought through something remind yourself don't leave that as an insignificant unrelated experience see it as continuous your deliverer is with you and he's with you always when the sun's shining and when the rain is falling you know then when temptation comes in and an impossible situation seems to present itself and you're at that dead end, you can say, oh, my power is with me, man. I'm gonna connect those extension cords. I'm gonna do what I need to do to say, thou art with me. You were, was God with you before? Lord, you were with me before. You were with me before. I know you're with me now. I trust you. You're my deliverer. You're my redeemer. Can you pray that prayer? I don't know where you're at this morning, if any of you are dealing with any of that. Or maybe you need to be that Moses to encourage somebody that they need the reminder. Do you need the reminder this morning? Do you need to remind someone this morning? Let's stand. Let's leave here today knowing God is with us, knowing that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, will never leave us or forsake us, that he is with us regardless of what's going on. Good, bad, pasture, valley, whatever it is, 
You take that with you this morning, and I don't know if you need to, to be reassured about that. You need to pray with somebody. You need to grab a hold of the arm of a brother or sister and just say, pray with me. I want you to know the front of this church is always open for that. It's always open for you to yield that need to God, and someone will join you by faith to say, he's with you. He is with you. He is with you and encourage you in that before you leave. If you've never really given your heart over to Jesus Christ, I want you to know he, he'll take every sin, everything that you've ever done and cast it aside. If you're willing to say, Lord, I repent. I admit that, that, that I'm a sinner and I need to put that trash behind me. God will save you forever. You'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, thank you for your time here with us this morning and your refreshing word and, and to watching people get baptized and made new, all of it. Lord, you're the restorer of our soul. We thank you for that, God. We thank you. Father, bless every single one in this service. Bless those who, who are uh, joining us online, Lord, that if they need this reassurance, this encouragement, or they need to be that Moses in someone's life where, where they can help and they can testify of your goodness. God, I just pray you'd pour into every heart. I pray you would anoint, like, the, like Psalm 23 says, you would anoint our heads with oil. My, may our cup overflow with your goodness and your grace and your loving kindness, that we would know that thou art with us regardless, and that we could share that, we could know it, we can be assured of it, we can walk firmly out of here with that great, great confidence, thou art with me. Thank you, Lord. Bless your people with it, God. Bless them as they go. Keep that confidence with them all week long till they return again to worship you, to openly worship you, to just throw up hands and say, thank you, Jesus. God, we just pray that. We, we, we appreciate you. We love you. We look forward to everything you're going to do because you do it all, God. In your hands, we commit our lives with gratefulness and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen.